are in our last and final week, our fourth week of the, uh, the series Divine Mentor, where we've been walking through the book of Ephesians and talking about how to apply Ephesians to our lives. And uh, week one, we, we talked about the fact that the scripture is written to people just like us, people that are looking for place and identity and certainty. And then in week number two, we talked about, Pastor Benton preached to us how a united local church is the hope of the world, and and uh, did a great job with that. And then week number three, last week, we talked about how revelation is applied through the choices of the believer. We get to choose, uh, we, we receive the revelation, then we choose how we are going to utilize that through the application in our life, the choices that we make, whether it's in our church, or it's in our personal lives, or it's, it's in our homes as, as families, and all of these choices are revelation applied and so we we this is where we're at and today we're we're completing this series talking about a key to experiencing victory as a believer we as believers we're we're set up by god to experience success and victory so the question is how do we achieve that victory how do, we, how do we step into that victory that God has prepared for us? And so we're in Ephesians chapter number 6 today. And if you're a note taker in your service guides, it's an opportunity to take some notes. And I encourage you to do so. Uh, our key scripture this morning is going to be in verse number 4. <clears throat> it says fathers. Now when it says fathers, I'll, I'll talk, maybe hit this again later. But when it says fathers, it's talking to head of household it's talking to an authority in a home. So if you're a single mother, this, this would apply to you. If you're, uh, whatever your household situation is, it's talking about the authority of a home, okay? And so he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Don't provoke them, but rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, this particular chapter, it includes a, a, a couple of different analogies and different uh, methodologies of dealing with authority here. It's talking about children and, and parents and slaves and masters and servants and all of these relationships. Then it's talking about the armor of God and explaining that. And it's talking about prayer and encouraging prayer in our life. But, but here in verse 4, I think it kind of sums it up a little bit for us and helps us to define how we can apply this verse and this chapter in our lives as, as Paul begins to wrap up this book or this letter to the people in the, the region of Ephesus. Because it's defining the purpose of a father or head of household. It's, it's saying your job is to raise children that have discipline and instruction. Now I want you to, I want you to, to recognize that it's not saying that your job is to discipline and instruct. It says that we are to raise children with discipline and instruction. The, the, the job is to raise children who have discipline in their lives and who operate within the instruction that has been given. It's not just about disciplining them. It's about teaching them to have their own level of discipline. And it reminds me of another scripture in, in the Bible that where Jesus is talking, and it's this Matthew chapter number 28, verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit 
He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now we can take what Jesus said there in verse number 19 or verse number 20 rather, and we could translate, we we could change the verbiage and not do any disservice to the scripture and say, church, raise up young believers with the discipline and instructions that come from the Lord. He's saying, raise up young believers in a way that they are disciplined in a, in, such that they can live out the instructions that have been given by God. It's a different methodology than just discipline and instruct. Both scriptures define a particular goal. People are being taught the right thing and they have developed the discipline to now do the right thing that they've been taught. And our big idea today is this, disciples win by living out the discipline of the one they follow. Disciples win by living out the discipline of the one they follow. When we talk about a disciple, we're talking about one who is following the teaching of another. This is, this is an individual who is, who is dedicating themselves to following the teaching of another. So if you are a disciple of Christ, you are, you are you are defined by your following of the teachings of Christ. You might be a, a disciple of Walter, Dr. Walter, this morning. And if you're a disciple of Dr. Walter this morning, you may be in, engaged in the paleo diet. Because he invented that, or at least wrote about it for the first time. And, and it's based upon the, the idea of what people ate within the Paleolithic era, which is lean meats, nuts, and other tasteless things. <laughs> I'm going to get emails on that, I know. but <clears throat> And it's also interesting that an old man was like 25 years old at that time. But, you know, let's not worry about that part. You don't eat fatty meats, you don't eat breads, you don't eat processed foods. So that is a disciple. But someone that's walking in that discipline actually does those things. So you might be a disciple of Dr. Walter, but if you had chocolate cake for dinner last night, you're not walking in this discipline. And now, and now you are not going to go in the direction that he said you can go if you follow his teachings. You can say, I'm a disciple of Dr. Walter and be becoming less healthy because you're, you're declaring yourself a disciple, but you're not walking in the discipline of that disciple. And so therefore, I would argue that you're not actually a disciple of Dr. Walter. I can tell you that I am not a disciple of Dr. Walter. I had a wonderful piece of fatty steak just the other night, and it was delicious. And I am better for it. Thank you very much. Had cheese on top. Oh, my word. Me and my treadmill got to know each other better. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. If you don't live out the discipline, you don't win. If you don't live out the prescription, you don't win. And and I'm using the word prescription there because uh, John chapter 14, verse number 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, the word commandments there, if you get down into its meaning, it's, it, it means authoritative prescription. 
So Jesus is saying, if you love me, I'm writing you a prescription for a successful life. And I'm handing it to you. And if you love me, I'm the authority. Keep my prescription. Do, do what I'm telling you to do. I struggle with those who go to the doctor because they have a problem in their life, problem in their body, and then the doctor says, I want you to do these things, and then they say, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do those things. I'm just going to do it my own way. Why did you go to the doctor in the first place? I, 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 doctors have told me for years, I'm just impressed that you did exactly what I told you to do. And I'm thinking, duh, I went to you because you were the authority. You gave me a prescription. Now, I know doctors can make mistakes and, and things, negative things can happen. And, you know, it, 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 people are people no matter where you go or what you do. But they are the authority that I can go to on this earth. And so they've written me a prescription. I just think it makes sense that I follow. But Jesus never makes a mistake. And so he's given us a, a, a prescription as the authority, and he's saying, keep these commandments. And so if we follow his prescription, then we will be healthy, we will have success in life, we will be stronger as men and women of God. And there's three areas of discipline that is defined for us in Ephesians 6. Area of discipline number one is in relationship with authority. In relationship with authority. What authorities do we see here? Number one, in in verses one and two, it says, children, obey and honor your parents. So that's the authority of a parent to a child and and the relationship that that child has with that parent. In verse number four, he says, fathers, don't frustrate your children with unreasonable demands, petty rules, or favoritism. Now, who gets to decide what's unreasonable demands? The authority. But he's speaking to the authority and saying, your relationship with your authority should be such that you're not lording it over your children, but you're treating them well. You're treating them right. In verses 5 through 8, he says, slaves, obey your masters as you would Christ. Work for them as for Christ. Now, in our history, this passage of scripture has been used as a pro-slavery scripture where people try to condone slavery from the Bible. But that's not what it's talking about here. It's not a pro-slavery scripture at all. In these days, when he is referring to a slave, he's talking about one who went into great debt. And it was kind of a bankruptcy program that was set up in Israel and for the Jews, where if someone was bankrupt, they, they could not pay off their debt, they would become the slave of one who they owed. And they would work for them as a slave for seven years. They would do what they said, when they said, how they said it. And in fact, they would just be a servant to serve. They would be cared for physically, but ultimately at the end of seven years, their debt would be canceled and they would become a free person again. And that's exactly how it was intended to work. It wasn't pro-slavery as we've seen it in the early days of our nation in any way whatsoever. And so here he is saying, if you are in servanthood, a servitude to somebody else, serve them as if you would serve Christ. But he doesn't just leave it at the servant needs to be really awesome to the master. He says in verse 9, if you're a master, treat your slave in the same manner as I've told them to treat you. So be good to them just as I'm telling them to be good to you. 
And so this is all about reciprocity. See, discipline isn't needed when you want to do what's required. When you want to do what's good, nobody has to force me not to eat broccoli. Never in my life has anyone said, Micah, that is too much broccoli. Nobody. My mother has told me it's not right to eat the entire box of cereal in one sitting. I've heard that many times. My grandmother said it's not a good idea to eat the entire cheesecake at one time. Seemed like a good idea to me at the time. I've heard those things, but no one has ever said, Micah, don't eat too much broccoli, because I do not like broccoli. And so it takes no discipline to do that. But I'll tell you what takes discipline. It takes discipline to sit there at the dinner table and say, I'm not going to have that dessert instead. One day I was working through a time where I was trying to lose weight, and, uh, and, uh, and I was losing weight, and Christy looked at me one day, and she said, um, I don't think you need to lose any more weight. I said, excuse me, say that again? She said, I don't think you need to lose any more weight. I don't want you to get scrawny. I don't know what scrawny is, but she doesn't like it. And so, and so I said, okay. She said, so what are you going to do? I said, pass that cake. <laughs> Easiest decision I've ever made in my life. You don't like it? No problem. Because it took discipline to say no to the cake. It did not take anything at all to say yes to the cake. That was, that was very, very simple to do. In each of these areas, we're seeing where, where there's a pushback in some manner, where we don't want to go in a particular direction. We don't want to do a particular thing. I did not always want to obey my parents. And my sons, shockingly, don't want to always obey me. But my parents taught me how to say no to me and yes to doing what's right. And one of the moments I remember vividly with my son Talon, he's our oldest son, uh, was when he, he was upset and he was going through this time of, of where he was kind of asserting himself a little bit. And I told him to do something and, and he said, Dad, what I want to do is, and he outlined that very clearly, and he said, but what I'm going to do is, and then he outlined that clearly, and it happened to be exactly what I just told him to do. And as he walked away, I thought to myself for the first time, that boy is becoming a man. Not because he was shaving and not because of other things, but because of the simple fact that he was showing discipline in how he was going to deal with his attitude and deal with the situation that was before him. He was becoming a man. There's a lot of men who are still boys. But at some point, boys need to go to men, you know. Last week we talked about mutual submission in marriage. And this week we're talking about, in this we're talking about mutual respect and authority. Where the one in authority has respect for the ones that they are leading and the one that is being led has respect for the one that is leading them. It's a discipline. We don't have to say everything that comes to our minds. No matter how brilliant it is. We, We don't have to. We can honor when we don't want to honor. That leads us to area of discipline number two, and that's in relationship to spiritual warfare. We are in a battle as Christians. We're in a battle as Christians, a battle with ourselves, our own carnal nature, a battle with the, the, the world systems that we're in. We're in a battle with, with Satan himself and, and those that, that he runs and controls, and, and we lean towards weakness. 
So Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, a final word, he said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He said, I want to remind you to be strong. It's a choice that you make. Strength equals discipline. Weakness takes no effort at all. But you'll always discipline yourself to strength. Whatever an area of your life you have strength in, that's going to be an area in which you have discipline. Maybe you're disciplined in your finances. You don't have to make a lot of money to do well financially. You just have to have discipline in your finances. If your marriage is good, you have discipline in your marriage. If your health is good, you have discipline with your health. There are people that are skinny that are not healthy. told you this is a tough crowd this morning i'm telling you (laughs) discipline with you're going to have strength you're going to have discipline verses 11 through 13 talk about putting on the armor of god so that you can stand against the enemy he's saying hey this is a choice you have to make you have to decide to put on the armor of god verse 14 says put on truth and righteousness why do i have to choose to put on truth and righteousness because there are some days i don't want to tell the truth or walk in righteousness i want to do something else I want to tell a lie and and do something unrighteous. Verse 15, he says, walk in the gospel of peace. Why do I have to be disciplined to walk in the gospel of peace? Because there are moments when I want to punch somebody in the nose. Not peaceful. Sometimes it feels better to be mad and angry. So I have to discipline myself to walk in the gospel of peace. Taking up the shield of faith, that's a discipline to take it up because the enemy says you shouldn't have any faith. The world says faith is pointless and meaningless and it's not real and it's not true. Faith in what anyway? And so it takes discipline to say I'm going to pick up that shield of faith and I'm going to operate in faith regardless of what the world says, regardless of what the enemy says, and sometimes even regardless of what my own carnal, what my own nature says. My nature says you should fear and you should doubt and you should think that everything bad's going to happen, but I choose. I'm going to pick up the shield of faith and I'm disciplining myself. I will operate in faith and believe that God's going to do good things in my life regardless of what else seems to be going on out there. It's a discipline. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice to let salvation cover you and use the word as a sword. But you can't fight with what you don't know. This is a recipe for hurting myself. I don't know nunchuck techniques really well. And so when I was a kid, I had friends. By third service, I'm getting pretty good at this. Uh, I had friends that were, that were into martial arts, and they had nunchucks that had, um, that had like foam all around them. And, and they would sit there, and they were super into it, and they would practice, and, and they would do this, and it would whiz around. You could hear the air just... It was... Yeah, that didn't work out. It was, uh, it was really impressive. And so they would hand them to me, and I would do what they were doing, and I would beat myself about the head and shoulders for a while. And then I, and then I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. And they said, well, how are you going to defend yourself? And I said, I'm going to get a gun when I'm older. That's how. <laughs> it's going to be properly licensed and with all the legal, but it, 
It's not going to be nunchucks because the, 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 the intruder in my home isn't going to have any problem. I'm going to be laid out unconscious there in my house getting ready for his, to defend myself. I'm going to knock myself silly. It's not going to help anybody. And I think sometimes that's what people do with the Word of God, which is the sword of the Lord, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. They, they don't know the Word of God. So they say things like, doesn't the Bible say, and didn't God say, and, and you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, which is something beautiful my grandmother said, but it's not in the Bible. Uh, but it's, we, we pick up these different things and we don't really know what the Word said, so we, so we use it ineffectively as I would use the nunchucks ineffectively. And, and, and that's why why we do things here at McCord like the Divine Mentor Reading Program where every, every day we're reading a plan together and then we're outlining that. We're writing down our scripture. We use what's called the SOAP method, S-O-A-P, scripture. We write down the scripture that has, has spoken to us in that reading. And then we write down the observation. O stands for observation. How, what did I see in this scripture that kind of caught my attention? And then maybe A for application. How does that apply to me and my life. And then ultimately it closes with P and prayer. And I pray, God, help me to see this and help me to, help me to recognize the moment when I need to use this properly and, and, and operate in a way that will make me stronger and defend myself against the enemy and also attack and take territory from the enemy in my life today. That's, that's, that's why we do this. Because the enemy we fight, the world, Satan, our own carnal natures, they're not giving up and walking away. We must be ready to fight. And warriors are disciplined by nature. Because if they're not disciplined, they will lose their life. They'll lose their life if they're not disciplined. So they push themselves <clears throat> to be disciplined. The undisciplined accommodate weakness by changing the objective. If I say to you, hey, I'm going to do 30 push-ups right now. You ready? We're going to do 30 push-ups. Here we go. Here we go. One, two. Oh, this is getting a little bit hard. Three. Well, I did, I did push-ups in the other, earlier services too. Four. Um, and so maybe I'm, you know, five. Do I really need to be doing push-ups? Maybe push-ups. You know, I'm so glad. I, I, I was doing seven push-ups. And I've succeeded in doing seven push-ups. What well, was I in doing seven? No, I was going to do 30 push-ups. But I changed the objective so that I could be a success. And I think that's what people do in the, with the Word of God. When they say things like, well, the Bible was written so long ago that it doesn't really, I, I don't know if it really means what it says for today. Or, God understands my situation, so He's not going to, or, I'm looking at all the other people around me, and they, I mean, some of them go to church and, and everything else, and, and my life, my life's actually better than their life. So I'm doing pretty good. So I'm feeling good about me. The problem is, the objective was never to be like everybody else. The objective was to be about like Jesus. And he hasn't changed. He hasn't changed at all. And so, and so I can look around and change the objective if I want to, but disciplined people, they live their lives to accomplish the objective. 
And we know that Jesus has our best in mind, so we try to do what he's called us to do, what he's prescribed for our lives. He meant what he said, and he gave us the opportunity to be able to follow his will. Now, will we fail sometimes? Yes, we'll fail sometimes. And his grace is sufficient. He will forgive us. But discipline says, all right, I failed, I messed up. Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me, and I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to start walking again. I'm going to start doing it right again. I'm going to start doing what you've called me to do again. That's what discipline does. We must be disciplined in the fight to accomplish the goal. The area of discipline number three is that in relationship to communication with God. Communication with God. One of the things I love about the Divine Mentor Program and that SOAP method, S-O-A-P, is that the, the P standing for prayer. I love the fact that every morning when I conclude my devotions, I'm spending a moment in prayer and solidifying what I've heard or what I've learned or what I've written into my own life in a prayerful moment where I'm communicating with God about it. And I'm saying, God, I'm asking you to show me how I can use this in my life today. I, I want to be empowered by you to do what's right. I can tell you that a great church is a praying church. Paul prays two times in the book of Ephesians, and then here he directs the church to pray. In fact, he says in Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too, he said. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. Say and pray in the Spirit. Pray in the knowledge and in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Knowing that the, the Holy Spirit has authority and power in every aspect of, of life. There's no point, there's no, there's no moment in which the Holy Spirit does not have authority and cannot work. He has all power all the time. Pray for believers everywhere. You don't have to break down your prayer. Lord, I'm, I'm devoting 22% of this prayer to those in Uganda right now because they're really dealing with some stuff. And, and, and 33%, oh, hold on, let's back that off. 28% is going to go to, and then, no, you don't have to do that. You can pray for all believers everywhere because God has all authority at all times. He never runs out, so you're not dealing with any deficiency of opportunity for prayer to do a work in the moment and in the situation. Then he says, pray for me too. Paul is saying, pray for me, those in authority, those that are even writing to you right now. Pray for them. Pray for those who teach you. Pray for those who lead you. Last week we talked about the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, uh, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. And, and we kind of talked about that a little bit. Well, he's saying, pray for those who God is using to minister into your life. They are not above prayer. They don't above the need of prayer. I can tell you right now as the pastor of this congregation, I'm asking you, please pray for us. God is doing something beautiful in this church. We couldn't start it, but if we don't handle it right, we can stop it. We need the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to operate and to work in this place and lead us and guide us in all that we're doing. Pray. It sounds easy, but to be consistent in prayer is not always easy. We'll call people before we pray. We'll get counsel before we pray. 
Calling people's good. Counsel. In the mouth of many, there is wisdom. Let, in the mouth of let two or three, uh, in, in the mouth of two or three, let everything be established. God's not against calling, although they didn't have cell phones at the time. And, and he's not against counsel. But before we do all of that, let's pray. Because we need that call to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need that counsel to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It takes discipline to stop ourselves from responding to that situation and and picking up that phone or saying that word. And it takes discipline to say, wait, whoa, before I move any further, let me pray. Let me talk to Jesus and communicate with God about this. It takes discipline. Because prayer is faith in action. Prayer is saying, I believe that you are, I believe that you can, and I believe that you will. That's why I pray. The reason I call is because I think the other person on the other end of the line is either going to be able to do something about what I'm dealing with or care enough about me to at least say I'm sorry. The reason why I counsel is because I'm hoping that somebody can tell me something that I need to hear in order to get through the situation that I'm in. It's because we expect results to happen. That's why we call. That's why we counsel. The reason we pray is because we're saying we believe you, God. And we're we're acting in faith to know that you're going to handle the situation. So Ephesians teaches us powerful lessons about how to live as a Christian in any time or in any place. Our divine mentor is telling us how to apply his lessons to our Lives. Maybe you're dealing with a situation where you're, you're, you're struggling with your identity, your place, or the certainty of your life. Maybe you're in a place where you're saying, hey, how do I become unified? How can we be unified as a church? Or how can I become unified with the church? Or maybe you're in a place where you're saying, hmm, I don't know how to make these choices. Well, the, the lesson today is to say, you've just got to start somewhere. And for somebody, it might just be taking one step. It's the hardest step. The hardest step is the, the step taken whenever the alarm goes off at 4.50 and, I have to, and I'm, I'm walking to the treadmill. Once I'm on the treadmill, I'm doing great. I'm fine. But it's when the alarm goes off and my mind says, no. And then I say, but I should. And I think, hmm. But you exercised yesterday. But I need to. Maybe if I just sleep five more minutes. It's never five. So the hardest step is flipping open the covers, stepping out of bed, grabbing my sneakers, walking down to the treadmill with a slight deviation over to the coffee pot. Jesus created caffeine. I don't care what you say. <laughs> Book of Micah chapter 22. I'm telling you, it's right there. The, uh, I wrote it yesterday. Anyway. Sometimes it's the first step. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ right now. Maybe it's the first step. You've just got to make it. You, you just got to step. It takes discipline to take the step. But if you take it, The Holy Spirit will empower you in your walk and in your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for incredible people.
I thank you for what you're telling us in Ephesians and speaking to us through Ephesians. I'm asking you to give us the courage to take that first step, to become disciplined in our prayer lives, become disciplined as we deal with those in authority, as become disciplined in our warfare in the Spirit. That we don't just accept everything that's happening to us, but we make a difference in the world that we're living in. Use us for your glory. Empower us by your great and mighty and awesome greatness. I'm asking you, Jesus, to bless your people and every home represented. In Jesus' name we pray. And let everybody say amen.